HD Smartcast. You are listening to an HD Smartcast original. Welcome to She Diaries, an exclusive podcast series for women entrepreneurs. Brought to you by SheAtWork.com, a one-stop knowledge hub for women entrepreneurs. This podcast is an HD Smartcast original and is available on HDSmartcast.com. India's fastest growing podcast producing platform. Through She Diaries, the She at Work team will bring to you meaningful conversations on women empowerment and entrepreneurship with a view to educate, support and motivate women entrepreneurs around the world. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of She Diaries. I'm Ashneet Sachdeva, part of the She at Work team. Today we have with us Ms. Romira Roy, one of India's leading social entrepreneurs and founder and chairperson of Seed. Ms. Roy has worked on multiple initiatives for women empowerment and rural development through her organization. She has also won the prestigious Global CSR Award for social entrepreneurship. She joins us today for a very special episode of She Diaries. Ms. Roy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ashneet. Look forward. Ma'am, your journey is equal parts inspiring and intimidating, to be honest. Tell us, what was your motivation to set up Seed and what do you hope to achieve with it? So, Ishneet, I'll take you a little bit back in time. Uh, this is a time frame which is 15 years ago when entrepreneurship was not so cool as it is today. It was a road that nobody wanted to take, especially if you'd completed your MBA and you were lucky enough to work with an organization like Tata. I remember the day that I told my parents and my partner that, look, I think I want to quit this job and want to do something of my own. I still remember the expression on their face. You know, they looked at me as if I had slightly lost my marbles, if that's the right phrase to use. (laughs) Yes. But having uh, said that, they continue to be the pillars of strength and have helped me through my journey all these years. So the motivation to uh, to start Seed came uh, from two factors. One, during my growing up years, I had, I should say, the opportunity to spend a lot of time in really backward areas, uh, deep down villages and districts, uh, due to the fact that my father was in the government services. So I could, I spent almost all of my growing up years uh, in those places, studied in rural schools. And pretty much saw the transition of what it felt like to come from there and suddenly land up in a metropolitan city like Delhi. Completing my education, working with Tata, I saw that within the Tata framework was an you know immense uh, culture of wanting to give back to society. Having seen both ends work, I felt there was a huge gap at the time of the corporates wanting to reach out to people, beneficiaries, like we call it today, in the rural areas or the deprived sections. But very few organizations which were looking to take this up as a project-oriented approach, where one would have set number of deliverables, which we were to give to a set number of beneficiaries and which could be measured, both in terms of impact to their lives Also in terms of the return that the corporate or the organization achieved in every rupee that they spent. So that, in a gist, was how we started Seed and the journey after that has been incredible and very, very fruitful. CSR came into 
uh, you know, the talking points of people everywhere. Once the formal notification of how much an organization should spend started getting regulated. Before that, it was almost always associated with philanthropy, uh, donations, etc. We had Azim Premji give out his viewpoints just day before yesterday where he said, why is it regulated? Why is it mandated? It should come from within. But just to add to that, maybe it brings in more people into the whole net of having to give and maybe in their journey of having to give, move on to a rational or a scale where they will start wanting to give. That's the transition and that's the impact that I hope that SEED as an organization and we as a nation as, as a whole, one of the very few countries where CSR is mandated, achieve. That's quite a journey, Ms. Roy. So uh, from our series of interviews on this podcast series, we've been told time and again that being a women entrepreneur in India is more like an uphill battle. What do you think? Tell us uh, a little bit more about your challenges of the early years. And uh, I'd like you to delve into how that is different in today's situation. And how are the challenges now that you have traversed so long a journey? That's a wonderful question, uh, Ishneet, and you've put it very well. Uh, let me break it down again. Life is an uphill battle and you're an entrepreneur, whether a male or a female, it's a tougher challenge because you're responsible not just for yourselves, but also for every other employee, every other client that you have onboarded that you have to deliver to every employee who's a part of your team. That journey in itself is a task. But over the years, the few things that I have learned, uh, particularly as a woman, is that first, you need to get over the glass ceilings which exist in your head. Many times, you may be as good as the person next to you, maybe better, but you hesitate. Even if you come from a background where you're given an equal opportunity, whether it's to study, whether it's to go out and work, as I was, for example, uh, you may hesitate to voice your opinion or come out you know, and assert yourself strongly. That is something which I see has changed so positively you know, over the years where you have a network of people you can reach out to, you can talk to as a woman entrepreneur saying, look, this is the challenge I face. How do I deal with it? So that support system which has come into play over the last couple of years, I think is you know, phenomenal for anybody starting their journey. At the time when we started, we pretty much had our parents who had over generations just worked in regular nine to five jobs. So the concept of a business or entrepreneurship itself was alien. Coming down to being a woman, I'll tell you an interesting fact. There's a Harvard study which says that women speak more than 30,000 words in a day, while a man speaks only 15,000. What does that <laughs> tell you? It tells you that we need to keep repeating our point just to be taken seriously. Just to be heard, yes. Just to be heard, just to be taken seriously and just to be recognized that, yes, I am here and my viewpoint is as important as yours. So that is something that I've learned in my journey and I hope uh, that, you know, uh, people out there will learn from that and the fact that there are so many more support groups today is also a huge strength that women as women and women as entrepreneurs particularly have in today's times. Right, right. That's so heartening to hear, ma'am. Going back to Azeem Premji's comment, 
what percentage of organizations according to you take csr seriously and what's the road ahead for india in cure wow that's a really loaded question so <laughs> uh you see let let me be candid here with you like i said there are certain organizations where there is a culture of giving tata being one of them there are other organizations which over a period of time have started their own philanthropical bits their uh, you know their culture of say volunteering all of that in some way has now gotten heavily regulated by the csr laws which have come into being over the last couple of years and further tightened with what has happened now in 2020 with the recent csr amendments so organizations which were taking it seriously continue to do so organizations which were thinking okay should we push this decision you know does some other uh, spend require attention right now does other compliance require my attention right now and i can push this back and let me not do this is also something whether we like it or not because it has been regulated there are more and more organizations which have to do and have to comply i hope there's a time when this word have to uh, is not used anymore but till such time as we all complete this journey together i guess that in itself makes many organizations especially those who are first time compliance you know first time entering into the compliance of the csr ambit uh, organizations which have multiple entities and other regulatory compliances again are all in the have to category but more and more i see there is a change there is a change in mindset where heads of organizations boards of organizations realize the impact of social goodwill as we call it is as important to the creation of any brand or any company as is their other financial parameters so i see that growing and i see more and more organizations taking it seriously also the huge impetus which is now coming to india post uh, you know the experiments which have happened in singapore and uk the creation of the social stock exchange which is notified and should come into play in the next couple of years where you will be mapped on your performance on an exchange similar to that of a bsc or an nsc that also will give a huge impetus for each of these projects being taken seriously and getting more and more participation from public at large and companies in particular right um uh, mr roy the culture of giving that you spoke about very passionately um uh, it begins at home and goes right up to the leader of the organization if we may say so what can be done to inculcate the spirit of giving back to the society to each other how do we in, uh, introduce this concept in our homes and then leading up to organizations and in the same breath what areas are receiving maximum attention according to you in today's scenario so let me take this in the context of what was one of the most abnormal situations that all of us went through last year it was possibly the single biggest force that made us all stop to think about the resources we have value the resources that we have and also value the help that we get from each and every member of the community whether it's people who help you at home people who help you drive your cars Uh, and all of that because suddenly you had completely lost access to any of them secondly you know the passion for giving uh, either you know you're in bond with it or circumstances make you think 
yes, you know, this is a position and I value what I have and I wish I could make somebody else's life better. And I think the pandemic, if nothing else, helped us all pause to think, what can I do to help somebody who's been helping me all these years, possibly my house help who's helped me all these years, you know, just help her sustain through the difficult times because neither can I reach out to her nor can she come home. What about her children? Uh, can I, you know, it sounds funny, but in a small way, possibly give her, a, you know, a mobile so that her children can attend school. Some things we take for granted maybe, but there are so many who are, you know, not able to keep up because of the digital divide that has come in. So I think I see that even in my uh, daughter that, she she is a naturally giving kind, but she she was the first one to say, you know, hey ma, I'm I have this laptop, I'm attending school, but what about so and so's child? What can we do to help? So I think the pandemic has really forced us and has inculcated in all of us to reach out to people and even small acts of kindness, whether to your home help, to your support staff, or to your employees, has got inculcated as a part of our you know, as a part of our natural uh, inclination, if it was not there before. Having said that, to extrapolate it to the organization, uh, I can speak about myself. Uh, There were several large projects which we were implementing. There were delays, uh, you know, in timelines because of the situation that suddenly fell upon all of us. Our partner organizations were very kind. They gave us time extensions to take care of, you know, whatever operational issues that were going on. Many of them reached out to say, well, this uh, you know, manpower cost was not a part of your original contract, but look, we can you know, come to a mutual understanding. Let's do it this way. And uh, as an organization head, uh, it was you know, tough decisions to be taken where you had to say, well, I, you know, maybe I can't keep everybody, but can I keep them at half the cost, you know, help so that nobody is suddenly at lurch of what to do next. So I think it's just all of it has had a ripple effect, whether it is for you as an individual, for you as a part of a family, or you as heading an organization. Right. And uh, Ms. Roy, the second part of my question, uh, what areas are doing, uh, are receiving attention today? Is it women empowerment? Is it rural upliftment? What areas do you think our organizations keenly focus on in today's scenario? Yes, the two areas that have received uh, enormous amounts of attention and I think about time so. One, of course, needless to say, is the situation of the healthcare system within our country. Uh, you know, small things which can be done to, uh, to improve that space right across the health continuum, whether it is for prenatal care or right up to problems which are faced by senior citizens, how we can integrate bits of technology right down to the last mile beneficiary, you know, things like Practo, etc. How can it be implemented at the grassroots level to enable the last mile beneficiary to get benefit out of that system? We have seen that, uh, you know, push the budget as well with an increase of more than 137% in the outlay that the government has decided this year. Um, And the second uh, and the most important one is skilling, uh, both in terms of uh, upskilling, reskilling, and looking at skilling, uh, you know, in different ways, making it accessible to people 
migrant labor who has gone back, many of them who happen to be master craftsmen, how can we utilize their skill sets and link them to industries to say areas where they've gone back to because many are still hesitant to come back. So skilling uh, has also been a huge focus area for the private sector as well as the government and, and it's reflected in the budget as well as you would know. Right, right, completely. Uh, Ms. Troy, but we have to agree that women have largely been at the receiving end of this fallout of COVID, uh, be it economic, be it social, be it even physical health for that matter. We are told uh, many women uh, have forgone their annual tests and checkups for cancer detection. Pregnancies were taken without doctor consultation. We all know the facts that are out there. Do you think that... uh, there needs to be a certain amount of work that needs to go into uh, looking into women development, you know, taking care of their needs in this post-pandemic world where they have suffered with their health, with their uh, with loss of job. A lot many women are now out of jobs because they are taking care of kids at home because of lack of domestic health. What can be done to look at women and their needs in this world where uh, COVID has been upon us and we are trying to come out of this pandemic? Well, if anything, uh, COVID has been the hardest on on women, uh, all of us women. If anything, it has brought out the glaring gender inequalities, uh, you know, which have existed. Women have not only uh, been forced to uh, neglect their health. Many of us, you know, in a natural course do so. We keep complaining that our mother don't look after their health. But at this time... Uh, you know, it has gone completely into, should I say, the cold storage because everyone and everything else suddenly became more important, Uh, whether it was to give your laptop to your children so they could do the schooling, uh, whether it was taking care of the household chores, like you mentioned, but also uh, you'll be surprised that in terms of female job losses, it is 1.8%, you know, like times higher than what the men have lost. And this is something which McKinsey has brought out in a study recently. You know, there are large sectors like the hairdressers, the fashion designers, you know, women entrepreneurs who were running businesses of, you know, linked to food, for example, arts, crafts have been really badly hit, not only in terms of monetary losses, but also tremendous impacts on their confidence levels and you know on their ability to assert that look I also need to put myself before all of you at some point so you know Ishneet, it's it's a continuous debate about gender and about uh, you know how do we bring about gender equality you know I, I just want to take this opportunity to say that the true empowerment for me at least will happen when gender ceases to matter as a barometer to my performance or my requirements. You know, I am judged for me and me alone. I know that that perfect, uh, you know, perfect, should I say, uh, picture is far away. But at this point in time, the only way that women can come ahead is to say, look, I need that medical test now. And everything and everyone else can wait. So until we take the remote of our lives in our hands, we cannot expect anybody else to do it for us. Completely. And hope keeps us all alive. We're hoping for a more just, more equitable world. Completely, ma'am. From your point of view, from at SEED, is there anything that you've worked on specifically that focused on women in these last nine months or a year? 
that worked for their betterment uh, during the pandemic, after that, or even before that? Something that you would like to highlight? Well, before the pandemic, there, there were lots and lots of initiatives which continue to run uh, with our partner organizations, which focus primarily on women empowerment. For example, uh, you know, making self-help groups, get, getting them bank linkages so that they have uh, you know, incoming income, which is their own, and they can carry on with it. But during the pandemic, Ishneet will be surprised to know that one of the large, you know, biggest concerns that we got hit was, you know, ability to deliver ration packets to uh, to households where several of our women beneficiaries reached out to say that look all, all of this is great at some point we'll get back to our work but how do we access something as basic as food so we ran huge uh, campaigns across India uh, to enable re- distribution of these ration packets which included uh, you know requirements of a woman's monthly requirements pads, for example, uh, certain basic medication which uh, women take, like vitamins, etc., which we tried to reach out and uh, have delivered to as many beneficiaries as we could during the pandemic. Another thing that we realized is because of the reverse uh, migration which happened, not just of labor, but of many, um, uh, should I say, women in the 18 to 24 category who had moved out of their villages and come and spend some time in the cities, they had been, should I say, upskilled in certain uh, certain skill sets, for example, use of IT. So we thought that, you know, before a pandemic, after pandemic, whatever it is, IT will become a space to reckon with. And how can we look at linking these uh, women to long-term job opportunities? So we ran several uh, test pilot cases with organizations and our partners to see how we could, you know, upskill them and use them as master trainers in their villages to reach out to more women on basic computer skills, basic teleoperator skills, where they could then be trained as, you know, healthcare teleoperators and so on. So these are some of the initiatives which we are working on. And every day we get new inputs and new ideas. So like they say, it's a it's a continuous journey of learning. Absolutely. Well said, ma'am. Let's talk a little bit about SEED. Uh, we know the kind of work SEED does. We've got that into detail now. I wanted to understand what is it that uh, SEED is hoping to achieve in the next decade? What kind of projects are you undertaking now? And how is it that you're hoping to realize your vision for 2030 through these projects? Wow, now you're making me introspect. Well, you see, you know, Ishteed, when we started, we stood, you know, think, okay, we're doing socially based venture and it's never going to get traction like uh, IT based or, uh, you know, app based uh, technology does or, you know, the kind of funding it attracts or where it goes. You'll be surprised to see how many people actually showed interest, uh, banks which showed support and simple things like working capital requirement, which any business faces. At the time, it was very difficult to explain why a social venture requires that. But we do. And uh, I tell you, the biggest boost in the arm has been the creation of the Social Stock Exchange, uh, which is a very forward-looking initiative, which has been in the pipelines for a long time, but has finally been taken over, uh, taken into a concrete, actionable item by the government by launching of... uh, the, the exchange where I see uh, and I hope 
and that's my ambition and my dream that seed will be one of the ones listed there where we can draw capital and help uh, influence and impact more lives and you know take up projects which are larger in scale and probably double the num- not double triple the number of beneficiaries that we reach out to today so i hope and pray that that happens and that's my goal and my tireless mission for the next 10 years amen ma'am it'll happen surely uh, okay finally before we close the show what's your advice for uh, aspiring women entrepreneurs out there not just uh, for social entrepreneurs but entrepreneurs in general women who are thinking of taking this unbeaten path what would you tell them well i tell them one thing never give up because as soon as you do nothing is going to happen think out of the box because solutions are right out there maybe you're looking in one direction and forgetting to look at the others but the most important is remember that glass ceilings are everywhere first it starts with your mind so in your mind you should break the glass ceiling first just telling yourself i can and i will there are glass ceilings within the family there will always be family compulsions uh, as indra noi very well put it you know my biological clock is always going to be in contradiction to my career clock so that's another thing that you have to deal with and focus on and uh, third the glass ceiling at work you will constantly be asked to prove yourself whether it's to your board whether it's to your stakeholders it will anger you many times because you feel look i've been here 15 years you're not listening to me why do i need to keep proving myself but just remember that you need to keep repeating yourself 30000 times just to be heard so my advice to entrepreneurs in general is chin up face up even in the worst of situations and to women in particular get rid of the ceilings in your head and the only way is up wonderful that's awesome ma'am that's very very inspiring to hear chin up and face up women out there a great message out coming to you thank you so much miss roy we've covered so much ground in the last half hour um me and our audience has surely become more wiser aware and i'm sure we are all taking back this message of doing good giving back to society and contributing the way seed is doing it's been a pleasure talking to you thank, thank you so much Thank you so much Ishneet. If you would like to feature on She Diaries, you can write to us at info@sheatwork.com. For more related content, visit our website sheatwork.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. To give us your feedback, reach out to us at HT Smartcast. We're present on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. To listen to more podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com or suno naye nazariye se. This was an HT Smartcast original. HT Smartcast.